You're listening to DraftKings Network. Both these numbers are wrong, okay? First of all, 262 million over five is a great deal. It's six, it's whatever, 50 something a year, but it's not the deal. The deal is seven years, not five years. Boys and girls, welcome to another edition of the Business of Sports with Andrew Brandt. I'm your host, one Andrew Brandt. I hope you're enjoying the summer. We're sponsored, as always, by DraftKings, produced by Jack Connell, musical producer Sam Brandt, my son. You hear him below us with his music. A lot going on in specialty field that I have, the business of football. We'll talk about all those things. It's a special summer edition of Brandt's Rants. Speaking of football, I come to you from the home I have outside the Greenbrier Resort in West Virginia. I get away here a lot to do hiking and biking and uh, running in the mountains and all kinds of things, including uh, golf. Yeah, I'm starting golf. And guess who's here? The Cleveland Browns are here. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, they're practicing here. They get teams here all the time. And I'll say hello and have dinner with Andrew Barry tonight, the GM of the Browns. And guess who's coming here next week? The Live Tour. So while I'm away and while it's vacation and summer, there's sports right at my door. So I'm going to see the Browns, see the Live Tour. Let's get going right away. All right. I want to start with the continuing discussion that we've had for a couple of weeks that has been in the national debate for a couple of weeks, even though I've talked about it for years and wrote about it in Sports Illustrated two months ago, it's the devaluation, the diminution, the financial disadvantage of being a running back. And today's discussion will go around what Saquon Barkley did to get back into the Giants training camp. But really, again, trying to really frame the debate better than I think a lot of people do, what goes on is some of this discussion goes off the rails about running backs should do this or running backs this. Let me try to bring some sanity to it to begin with. And I'll review what I've said many times. The running back disadvantage situation is not because running backs have no value. Running backs have a lot of value. What doesn't have value to teams anymore are older running backs. And older in NFL terms for running backs means about 26, 27 years old. So young running backs have a lot of value to teams. Young running backs are very important to teams. We saw two running backs taken in the top 12 of this draft this year. Young running backs are extremely valuable to teams, and part of the reason they're so valuable is, of course, the money. Running backs face advantages before they get in the NFL with the three-year eligibility rule, where other positions need, quote-unquote, time to develop. Running backs are developed, usually. And they spend ages 18, 19, 20, or 19, 20, 21, using up their legs, using up their usage, high volume for no money besides NIL or whatever they get in college. Then they come into the league. They sign mandatory four-year contracts for rounds two through seven. First-rounders sign five years. And then you see players like Barkley and Jacobs 
get franchise tagged. So what do we have here? We have an extremely valuable situation for teams to control the earnings of these players at their peak earning power. Their peak earning power is low 20s. It's not mid-20s and up like quarterbacks. It's not mid-20s and up like offensive linemen, like cornerbacks, like wide receivers even. No, running backs have a shorter shelf life. We've known that for a long time. Teams have gotten smart. They're going to leverage those high productivity years with low earnings. And when the players come up for high earnings, they'll franchise tag them. They'll move on. They do what they did. The plight of Saquon Barkley shows how disappointing and almost despondent the financial situation is for running backs. Saquon Barkley agrees to this deal this week. He agrees to essentially take the money he's supposed to make, $10 million, and get it $2 million now and $8 million later, and he's given $900,000 of incentives. All for getting him into camp six weeks before I thought he'd get into camp in late July when I didn't expect him until the season. I didn't think he'd miss games. That was all BS stuff uh, and make 600,000 plus a week. Of course, he was going to be back for that, but that's not till September, first week of September. So he gets in like six weeks before. And how does he get in? Well, they give him an advance basically. $2 $2 million advance on a $10 million salary, that is no skin off the Giants' back. 900000 of incentives that are hard to earn incentives. I think I saw 1,350 yards. No easy feat, especially if he misses a few games, minor injuries. And the Giants have to make the playoffs. And the Giants can franchise tag him next year, too. I thought that was out of there, but it's not. It's in there. They can still franchise tag him. If I'm looking at that deal and I'm the New York Giants and I get Saquon Barkley into camp six weeks early, I'm like, let me sign before it goes away. Oh, my God, that's a great deal. It's easy gives by the Giants. You know, when I had a player at the Packers who was disgruntled, the one thing that I didn't want to do was tear up the contract. The other thing I didn't want to do is just throw free money at him, make his salary a million more, two million more, three million more. What I would do is add bonuses that didn't hurt me much, like hard to earn incentives, a la Barkley, like workout bonuses. Okay. Get him in the off season, get him here 90% of the time, a couple hundred thousand dollars or advances like the giants did. Sure. The player's not going to be cut. You know, they're not cutting Saquon Barkley. If they give him 2 million now versus 2 million over September, that's fine. You know, like the giants got such a good deal out of that. Now, whether they play Saquon Barkley, I mean, maybe secretly they probably want him to stay away so they doesn't get any kind of wear and tear the next six weeks. He's going to practice. I doubt he's going to play in the preseason games. If I were his team, I wouldn't play him. No way. But this idea that maybe he'll preserve himself to get a big contract next year, well, he just negated that. He just signed on for 900000 of incentives, which I think he wants, which requires a lot of usage. He'll want more carries, not less carries. So what Saquon Barkley did just shows you how depressed the running back market is. He can max out with a great year and the Giants making the playoffs at $11 million. Daniel Jones is making 80 over two, made a $36 million signing bonus. 
They just gave a big extension to Andrew Thomas. The Giants have done big free agent deals. Some have been busts in the past couple of years, like Kenny Galladay, like Adoria Jackson. <laughs> they can't pay Barkley. And it comes back to the position. It's just... Again, I'll leave you again with this. People go off the rails with these discussion about running backs, that running backs have no value. Running backs have a lot of value, maybe more value than any other position as long as they're in their rookie contracts. But once they get out of their rookie contracts, that corresponds to the diminution of their careers and teams don't want to pay them. I can't think of a single running back that you say, oh, he's definitely going to get a big extension in a couple of years. No, and I'll repeat, look who's out of a job. Dalvin Cook hasn't signed yet. He's one of the five best running backs in the league. Hasn't signed. Fournette, out of the league. Elliott, out of the league. Kareem Hunt, out of the league. DeAndre Swift traded for a ham sandwich. Aaron Jones, pay cut. Joe Mixon, pay cut. Like, wow, what is going on here? The franchise tag, lower than five years ago. And it's really the teams leveraging the CBA. Pre-CBA, draft eligibility rule, CBA, four-year mandatory fixed and easy contracts, fifth year for first-rounders, fifth-year options, sixth year franchise tag. By that time, they're not getting more new deals. It's over. You know, maybe they get one-year deals. Are the Giants worried about Saquon Barkley getting some massive deal next year? No. If he does, it won't be from them. And good luck to another team taking on Barkley at, at ages 27 through 30 versus 22 through 26, which they had him. And he's had injuries. So this is the play. I don't know how to fix it. People have reached out to me. I don't know how to fix it. Obviously, people raise kind of things. Well, let them out of, uh, let them make, make them free agents after three years. Good luck with that. Give them a no, their own situation in the CBA. Good luck with that. All these ideas are like, come on, you know, that's not happening. First of all, there's not a CBA for seven years, and the CBA is not going to favor one position. The owners would never do it. The players would never do it. And then this idea of hold-ins, well, oh, that's great for players that are superstars, but there's no running back who's a superstar. You know, there's no running back where they say, we can't win without you. That's the problem. I mean, holding worked for Jalen Ramsey. He was the top corner in the league. It worked for TJ Watt. It'll probably work for Nick Boza. They can't live without those players. But they can live without Barkley. Obviously. They're planning on living without him next year. Okay. And, ja and Jacobs and Pollard. That's the running back situation. It's the system. It's the age. It's not the position. The position is valuable if they're young. The position is not valuable if they're old. And old has a different meaning for running backs than any other position. Running backs are, quote, unquote, old at like 26. I mean, running backs are kind of the, the gymnasts of the NFL because they age so quickly in, in elite terms. Okay. Next subject is the big extension given to the L.A. Chargers franchise quarterback, Justin Herbert. Herbert and Burrow have now completed their three-year apprenticeship where you can't do a new contract. CBA, which I keep coming back to and disadvantaging these players, requires three years of playing before the team can touch your contract. So they didn't. You know, they now have 
the ability to do these deals. And Herbert goes first. Burrow, I'm sure, would come soon after. It will come probably by next podcast. We're talking about Joe Burrow. Herbert's extension. So the big number that is floated out there by all the media, the agents get it out to the Schefters and Rappaports. So most people see it. $262.5 million over five years. That breaks the 260 over five from Lamar Jackson, the 255 over five from Jalen Hurts. And as far as the guarantee, we've read about $218 million. Listen, both these numbers are wrong. Okay. I think you need to come to a podcast like this to listen and figure out why they're wrong. First of all, 262 million over five is a great deal. It's six, it's whatever, 50 something a year, but it's not the deal. The deal is seven years, not five years. Herbert had two years left on his rookie contract, the fourth year and the option year. So with a two years left on the rookie contract, you add in the five years, it's, it comes out to like 270 million over seven years, not 262 over five. An average of 42 or 43, which is nothing to sneeze at, but it's not an average of 53. It's an average of 43. So what we see is these skewed numbers because the media buys in, it's this whole game based on new money and extensions, but these deals are not apples to apples. Lamar Jackson was a franchise tag player, did a five-year deal. It's a real five-year deal. It's a real deal for $260 million. Five years, 260. That's the best deal. Jalen Hurts had a year left as a second-round pick. He does 250, whatever it was, 255 over five plus the peanuts he was making in his extension year. And that's what that deal is. 259 over six. And then, of course, Hertz and Burrow to come are going to have two years left. So they're going to, if, if Burrow does a five-year deal, that's going to be a seven-year deal. So understand these extensions. And in terms of the payout, it's not like Herbert's going to make his peanut salary the next two years and then the extension kicks in. That's not how it works. It's all new money generally, like thrown into a pot over seven years. So I think the skewed reporting makes it seem like they got the best deal ever. No, I mean, Lamar's a better deal because Lamar's a five-year deal at 260, and that's a real 50-something average. The other two are not real 50-something averages. And, I, I, you know, as an aside, of course, Lamar did this without an agent. So that's something we have to talk about, you know, that, that needs to be said. And let's talk about extensions, NFL versus NBA. I just explained NFL extensions. When there's an extension and you have existing years, it's just rolled in together and played out over many years. It could be seven years. When you have an extension in the NBA, it's actually kicks in after the remaining years on veteran deals. So if you have a player like Jalen Brown, who did this massive extension, the biggest contract in NFL history, $304 million over five years. And it's because he got the Supermax and he was selected to the all-NBA team, which still confounds me how a subjective group of, quote, selective media can trigger an extra $100 million, as they did for Jalen Brown's earnings, just by making him or voting him to be select all-NBA. It's like, wow, Jalen Brown owes the select media Millions of dollars. He was second team all NBA. So he triggers, unlocks another $100 million. 
but Jalen Brown's supposed to make whatever, $30 million this year. Then the extension will kick in. Okay. So that's the difference in the NBA and they're fully guaranteed contracts. They don't have to worry about it. They make the 30 million and then the 60 million average for Jalen Brown kicks in in 24. That's how it works there. In the NFL, it's all thrown into a stew pot together. And to, to further accentuate the point, the other $60 million contract in the NBA is Damian Lillard. That extension doesn't kick in to like 26, 27, where he'll make 60 a year. Now he's making whatever it is, 30 million, 40 million a year. So just showing you the difference between extensions of NFL extensions and NBA extensions. Final point on Justin Herbert. I know everybody's into like how much money and where does he rank? And and they, they look at that only that new money average. But the real thing is the Chargers get a win here for two reasons. Number one, they don't have to do the Watson precedent. Yeah, they're guarantees, but they're functional guarantees that kick in once a player's on the team for a certain amount of time. And then it unlocks more guarantees that year and unlocks more guarantees the next year. You know, it sounds like it's guaranteed, but the, the team can move on from the player. I know they don't want to. You know, you never think of moving on from J, J, Justin Herbert or Joe Burrow, but the fact is they can with these stair-step uh, triggered unlock guarantees versus the fully secured deal of Deshaun Watson, who is at a, at a location within probably a mile of where I am right now. Uh, no one's come to that. It's been the outlier argument about what Jimmy Haslam did with Sean Watson has worked. No one's gotten that kind of deal. And here we go. Uh, Hertz didn't get it. Lamar didn't get it. Herbert didn't get it. And Burrow probably won't get it. If they, if these guys waited till closer to free agency, they'd have more leverage, but no one can wait till free agency in the NFL because teams are smart and they throw a ton of money at these players and it's too hard to turn it down. But the other reason the Chargers got the win here is they got him under contract seven years. You get a player like that under contract for seven years, the prime of his career through the end of the decade, won't sniff free agency until at least the end of the decade when he'll have a franchise tag to deal with if he's any good. Wow, that's a win for the Chargers right there. No matter what the numbers are, the numbers are always going to go up. You know, the best deal I've seen in young quarterbacks is Dak Prescott, besides Watson. It's only a four-year deal. They have to negotiate with him now. He's unlocked earnings that he'll make more than all these long-term deals because he'll take advantage of the rising market. He'll take another bite at free agency. No matter what you think of Dak Prescott, they're going to pay him again, just like they did before, coming off in season-ending injuries. So players shouldn't be scared of short deals. Teams love the long deals. And don't even get me started on Pat Mahomes deal. I mean, the last thing I'll say is with these quarterback contracts, there's two outliers. Uh, the Sean Watson, for all the reasons we've discussed, and Pat Mahomes, for all the reasons I've discussed before. They're just outliers. There, there are no deals like those deals. And you know what I think of both, and I'll just leave it right there. Okay. Speaking of huge money, this Mbappé in Saudi Arabia has just got – it's numbers that you can't even comprehend. It's monopoly money, where the report is that a Saudi uh, team, Al-Hilal, is, ba is basically offering a one-year deal worth over a billion dollars. Now, 
770 million of that would go to Mbappe, 300 and something million would go to Paris Saint-Germain, his club in France, uh, as a posting fee or transfer fee, whatever you call it, coming from the Saudi club. Think about that, a billion one going to a combination of the club and Mbappe. It's just staggering numbers. You don't even think about it. And, uh, you know, the reports are that Mbappe's not even going to do it. He wants to get to Real Madrid after his contract's up, but I don't think that's the way he wants to do it. We'll see. But these are these are just funny money. And, of course, it comes from the Saudi Public Investment Fund, $600 billion in assets, and they bought golf. They bought a share of the Washington Wizards and Washington Capitals, and they're coming for more and more sports. The sports washing aspect is working. I think there's an incremental feeling like they're not so bad. And again, it's tiny. It's a little bit of a creep. Every time they make something like this, they got Ronaldo, they got golf, they got Newcastle United, they got Formula One. They're coming for more. They got 5% of the Wizards and Capitals. And this deal would be between two Middle Eastern oil-rich nations, PSG owned by the Qataris, and of course the Saudis. Listen, all I'm saying is the people that say it would never happen, it's happening already. And I predicted that the moment they bought golf, it is happening. Uh, You have little fun comments from Damian Lillard and Giannis about I'll take that money. And again, that's again, giving it a little more of a a flippant, lighthearted approach than these terrible Saudis who killed Khashoggi. This is the slow creep of Saudi investment into American sports. Saudis are smart. You know, they want to they want a better image and they want to diversify out of oil. What better way than sports? And they're doing it. It's happening. Okay, before I go, it happened. We talked about this for months and months on the podcast. My hometown team, some of my fondest memories growing up, going to Washington, then Redskins games, RFK Stadium with my dad, with my brother. It was quite etched in my memory. I lost my fandom for other reasons. I started working for another team and moved on from Washington, D.C., but I know so many friends and family, they are rejoicing. The reign of Daniel Snyder, Mr. Snyder, no longer is over. There was parties last week, I was told, called Burgundy and Sold Parties. They're rejoicing. Dan Snyder is gone. Josh Harris takes over. You know, Dan Snyder walks away in, in disgrace. He's got a $60 million fine for a sexual harassment with an employee. He tried to get in his limousine. He groped under a table. Financial misdealings keeping $11 million from his fellow NFL owners. I mean, who does this? And it's probably the same person who told not only people that I know that were not NFL owners, but I've heard stories of telling NFL owners that they had to call him Mr. Snyder. It's hard to feel sorry for that guy. You know, a tiny part of me does that he wrapped his whole identity in being owner of the Washington team and He's from the same area as I am. We're the same age. And like, wow, that was been amazing owning that team, but just treated people so poorly. And I just hope, I hope, you know, this sounds very spiritual, but I hope Daniel Snyder, you know, we see him in some Dateline or 60 Minutes or NFL Today interview in two years where 
he regrets the way he treated people. He's gone to counseling. He's got a men's group. He's doing a, you know, pickleball, whatever. I don't think we'll see it. Anyway, Josh Harris has an incredible opportunity. There's such a fan base in Washington, D.C. begging to be taken over. There's now political might because D.C., Maryland, and Virginia are back in on giving public funding for a stadium. Everybody's happy. There's a new sheriff in town, Josh Harris, who owns, the, uh, of course, the Sixers and the Devils. And here he is in Crystal Palace. And he's got 30 partners that include Mitch Rails, a big-time Washingtonian, Mark Ein, who I know, big-time Washington investor, uh, Magic Johnson. He's even talked about a name change. I wouldn't get too hopeful about a name change, but that could happen down the road. Give it a couple years at least. But for now, they're the commanders. There's a new energy about them. And I know you're happy, everyone out there who's been a Washington fan all these years like myself. I'm not going to be a fan again. You know, it's, I've moved on from that. I'm still Packers, but, you know, <laughs> I, I try to enjoy all the teams without being a fan. But, yeah, I feel for all these Washington fans that have been, been through this. I feel for all those employees that worked under the reign of terror for Dan Snyder. I've had some on my podcast. I've interviewed them. Um, it's a new day. It's a new day. All right. That'll do it. That was a heartfelt podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you're having a great, relaxing summer. Newsletter, andrew-brandt.com. That's growing every week. you got to subscribe. It's free. If you want to get the Sports Business League, just go to sportsbusinessleague.com. You can sign up, get this kind of stuff every day of the week, and we meet every Wednesday night. My reels at Instagram, Andrew Brandt 2 Twitter, of course, Andrew Brandt. If you like it, please give us a rating on Apple Podcasts. Comments always appreciated. And if you would, share this podcast with a friend. Hope you enjoy it. A unique and distinct perspective on sports and sports business. Have a great week, everyone. Thanks to John Jack Connell, my producer, my musical producer, Sam Brandt. Thanks to DraftKings. Thanks to you for listening. I'll be back next week with another edition of the Business of Sports with Andrew Brandt.